right, well, grab your Bibles this morning. We'll be uh, same same scriptures we were last week. Uh, last week's purpose was to to back up and set in place the necessary piece of of miracles and the, and the purpose they serve. Talking about signs and wonders, what they're supposed to point to. And now we want to examine the miracle proper of uh, it's the first one that's uh, recorded. Well, besides. <laughs> It's the first explicit miracle done by the apostles after the giving of the Holy Spirit. So that's a lot of qualifiers. But uh, importantly, it, it falls uh, as, as a, a um, you know, sort of like a, a meta-narrative on the, the church and what it is to be saved. And uh, so we just kind of want to examine the parts and pieces. Why does Luke tell the story the way that he does at the time that he does? Because if you forgot, it, uh, it says that there are many signs and wonders being done through and by the apostles, and so uh, we only get recording of some of those, and it's the same thing with um, the miracles of Jesus. At the end of uh, the Gospel of John, John's like, hey, were we to write down everything that happened, I suppose the world couldn't contain the, the books that could be written, and so um, thus is the case of, of how God works, right, because he's, he's working manifold throughout the world at all times and through lots of people, and so um, here we are specifically zoomed in on, on the concentrated point where the story is moving forward, and I, this is, um, it's just packed. There's so much in this, uh, this miracle that uh, I, I, I can get through all of it, and uh, at some point today, um, you're going to hear something, and I'm like, oh, that's really good, and uh, I, hope, I hope anyway, but not because I said it, because it's in Scripture, and you're like, oh, that's cool, um, but don't get lost in one specific detail, because I, I guarantee you there's more <laughs> that, um, that are just um, so helpful uh, to me and to us as a church, and so hopefully that uh, got you enough time to be Acts chapter 3, and we'll read verses um, 1 through 16 together, okay? So now uh, Peter and John were going up to the temple. And it was um, the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour. That's about three o'clock. So it says, And a man that was lame from birth was being carried, and whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those who are entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood, and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, excuse me, people utterly astonished ran together um, to them in the portico that is called Solomon's. And when Peter saw that the people had gathered, when he saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or our piety that we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over, and you denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. And you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Let's pray. 
Father, I pray this morning as we um, are your people that come to um, feed off of uh, the word, um, pray that you would fill us and nourish us. It's by this that we can learn and grow, move, have our being. So thank you for the supply, and now I just ask that you would do the work that only you can do for us, and that is to help us grasp and um, consume what, uh, what this is so that it can nourish ours uh, spiritually. So um, we need your spirit to help us to see what is true in this text about us, to help us find the truth in it, behold it, and fix uh, our attention on what is right and good and beautiful. Father, help our hearts when they're weak and cowardly and untrusting to believe in you. We need your help. We love you. Amen. So um, I, my plan is just to take this, uh, this apart in, uh, in pieces and just hit, hit the items as, uh, as we see them happen in the, uh, in the narrative here. Now, I said already that um, rather than just like telling a story, there's always um, an agenda, if you will. I, I don't know how to use that word, but there's a, there's, a, there's a purpose in how it's told and why it's told. There's no detail that's wasted. And, um, and, so, and so by examining those, you don't want to go to the point of, of over-symbolizing or being allegorical about what's being, being done here. This is about a lame man being healed outside the temple and what ensues from that. But there's a lot of important details that are given to specifically point some things out um, for us. And so uh, the, 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 to just to breeze past and go, well, that, congratulations, this guy got healed. Let's, let's move on. We'd be, uh, we'd be remiss to do that. So uh, I'm all, I've already pointed out that look, the, the, uh, Peter and John, um, first of all, are like not, not guys that would have normally hung out. So, so this is already a testament to the fact that the Spirit has done a work in the apostles to unify these guys on mission. And um, it, at the end of um, the Gospel uh, of John, when, when Peter is restored from his denial of Jesus, and Jesus says, remember three times, do you love me, do you love me? Finally he's restored. And then right after that, the ensuing narrative is about how Peter notices John, and uh, he's worried about what's going to happen with John. And so he asks Jesus, you know, well, what about that guy? And Jesus is like, forget about John. Just deal with the fact that you're, you know, you have your own problems pretty much. And, uh, and so um, there's like a bit of a rivalry there. These are two different, two different guys. And here they are going to the temple together on mission um, together. And here, here they are arriving. And I, I don't think this is just primarily about them going, quote unquote, to worship. Yes, that's true. Um, they're going at the hour of prayer to pray because that's what happens in the temple at that time. But I said, this is much more like, this is just where they knew people would be. They knew where they could take the mission and the, and the gospel, and uh, this, is, this is where they arrive at, is at the temple. And so they're there, they're headed there uh, at, at the third hour, and um, they see this man who, who's lame from birth. And the emphasis on uh, from birth can't be overstated, so it's not like, um, it, he's, he's giving no possibility that like maybe this was a, a, a temporary miracle or something that was, was unforeseen in some way. Um, the, the, this was a condition that existed from long before um, uh, the, the man um, had shown up on, on this day. So he, he's lame from birth, and, and whether or not um, it's saying that it was because of, like, somehow in childbirth he, he was lame uh, is neither here nor there, because we find out actually in the next chapter that it's actually been 40 years. The man's 40 years old. So for, for these 40 years, at least from the time that he was able, he's been laid daily at the temple at this particular 
Okay, and so the statement here, that uh, just, just take notice of the details from birth. So I think that um, we tend to, uh, to look at what's going on and we say, oh, this is, we kind of like have pity on the guy. We, 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 we feel very badly about the fact that this guy's, you know, unfortunately disabled and, and it seems like the, the emphasis on the fact that this guy's been laid daily at the gate of the temple is like somehow he's been He's been withheld, like he's, he's not allowed to, to enter in um, the temple, and um, that, that's not the case here, and I'll tell you why. So, uh, I, I don't know how many times I've heard people um, preach a sermon, and uh, if you pay attention to, to, uh, to what's happening here, it just says that they're outside the temple, and um, that doesn't mean that they were outside the entire temple, that could just mean they were in the inner court, or that they were in the outer court, and so we don't really know particularly the position of here, but... There was, there was no rules that um, a beggar or somebody that was lame could not enter the temple. And uh, lest, lest you think um, I'm wrong on that, um, go to uh, Matthew chapter 21. Actually, I'll just put it up for you. Matthew chapter 21, when, uh, when Jesus goes in and he cleanses the temple and he turns over and he says, you've turned my father's house into a den of, of thieves and robbers. And he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. He says, uh, there it is right there. He, he, sold, he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables, the money changers, the seats of those who sold pigeons. It says, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And then in the very next verse, and the blind and the lame came to him, where? In the temple. This is the same temple. There's not two, right? The same temple. Uh, and we're told that this man is laid prominently at a gate um, at the front of, of the temple, somewhere where it would have been recognized as, as a gate where, where people entered because it was called beautiful. It was, it was known as um, a good place to enter. So um, here, here's what's happening in the setup here. We've got two guys who are, who are devout. They're, they're going to the temple as they should. And um, we have... A man who's chosen, at least in some way, to, to position himself, probably because he's, he's pretty smart about how he's doing things, um, not because he's, he's been held out of the temple by any choice of, of, uh, or any rule. Now, maybe there's some Pharisees that would have, you know, disliked it, or, or some, some person that wouldn't like him in there, but there was no rule, and, and clearly there was times and places where, where they were entering in, and Jesus had healed um, people inside the temple before and so here he is positioned here. I think the point that we should recognize is that um, he, he's, a, he's like a wily veteran of this thing. He knows how to, to get what he needs. And um, he, he sort of, in some ways, overcome, overcome his uh, disability, if you want to say it that way. He's, he's begging for, for whatever it is that he needs to support himself. Now, we should also point out that however it is that you're thinking about um, somebody, you know, when, you, when you're driving down the street and the guy's on the street corner, and you're like, do I have loose change? Right? Like, do, what, what extra do I have that I can give this guy or gal in a particular case? Um, this isn't how, um, that's not how life worked. That's not how finances worked in this day and age. You didn't, first of all, carry a lot of money, and you were, a, like, pretty much a day laborer. You, you lived on a day's wages. You'd go, you'd work, and you'd get paid. In fact, that was part of the, the, the law, that you had to pay somebody that day. Don't, don't withhold wages for that day. That was, that was a bad way to run your business. So you get paid, and then, guess what? At, the, at the, 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 the last time that people will be at the temple that day, that's the ninth hour now, here he is begging for, but at the time where he knows people will have some money. And also, um, alms were, were, were supposed to be a regular practice of those, to, to give to those who were in need. And so, 
I just think what we're looking at, what was a, a, typical, um, a typical day, nothing particularly stand out about the fact that he's outside or that um, he, he's begging for uh, alms outside the temple. I don't think we need to make much of that. But the response of Peter and John is also telling because um, I, I mentioned it last week. When Jesus commissions the disciples the first time to go out and, and spread the news in, in uh in Mark, and it's recorded a few other places. It says he sends them out two by two, and he specifically tells them not to bring anything with them. He says, don't bring, don't bring a cloak, don't bring a tunic, don't bring a bag of money. Just go, and if somebody welcomes you, and, and then bless the house and all that. You, are you familiar with the scripture? Okay. So, so they're, they're, all we see right now is Peter and John practicing exactly what Jesus told them to do when they were on mission. To entrust themselves to whatever God would lead them to, and to uh, just go with whatever provisions they have. So it's an honest response. Look, I, I don't have silver or gold. And some of you, I mean, that's like your life verse, right? Silver and gold I do not have. Amen. Um, so they're specifically instructed to do this, and, and so this is where we find them. And um, I think, honestly, when we think about what it is that we can or can't offer to other people, we, we, we always think about it in terms of provisions or lack of provisions. And uh, I think this is the exact reason why Jesus, Jesus tells the disciples, not to prepare anything. So suppose at just this moment, Peter and John did have a couple of pockets full of money, right? I mean, they're clearly, we just read in the last chapter how people were selling their goods and they were all throwing it in for the benefit of others who were in need. And here we are now in a new scenario. It's not that they couldn't help somebody in need, but here they are, and maybe if they had that money, what would they have been tempted to do? Give it to them. Absolutely. So sometimes... Uh, because we have, we, we, we attempt to and meet the very superficial need. This guy's need is not actually that he needs just some alms for the day, is it not? That, that would be to only address the very top level need. And I wonder how often we address just the very top level need that we see and superficially soothe the wound so that the person is not actually aware of their deeper, their deeper need. Are you, are you seeing, uh, there's, a, there's a book written about missions, it's called When Helping Hurts, maybe if you're interested sometimes, and it talks about how the problem is a lot of times when, when Americans <laughs> go to other places, third world countries, and they want to help, they want to do missions work, and they, they want to give, and they give, and then, um, but we do the kinds of things that address very superficial needs, and then it actually creates a problem where People don't under, it's like you, feed, you, you, you give a man a fish, feed him for a day, but teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. And, and that's the difference here. It's, it's meeting the superficial need or meeting the real actual need beneath that. And so well, we, we tend to get caught up in the, all that, that poor man, right? He's, he, he needs money, so I'll just soothe that wound. And when we do that, we actually sometimes do a disservice. I won't say always, but sometimes do the disservice of not letting them recognize that the, the deeper problem is not that you're going to need alms tomorrow. It's that you, you really have this other lack. And so I think it's, um, it's good that they don't have any provisions here. So um, they, don't, they don't try to give anything out of what they do have. So, so Peter's like, hey, I don't, have, I don't have any silver and gold, but then he says, what I do have, I give you. So what's he, what's he left with? Um, and, and this was a question... I posited last week, like, what, what is it that Peter actually gives, gives this guy? Um, and uh, how many of you guys um, would... So here's our, here's our general go-to. If you're, if you're pulling up to a stoplight and you see there's somebody that's got the sign up ahead, what are you doing? You're generally... So, suddenly there's something going on in the console. You don't have... You're looking everywhere but this person. Am I right? 
Yes, you've, there's a million things to do suddenly, right? And uh, you're, you're doing everything that you can to not, not to draw this person's attention. Am I right? Yes. And if they're good at what they do, they're doing everything they can to get your attention, right? To, to, they, they want you, because if you maybe lock eyes with them or you, you read their sign or something like that, they're hoping to, 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 to draw you in, right? And, um, and I think uh, there's an important aspect to what's happening here because uh, I, I said the narrative is told a lot about where, where, whose attention is on what and where it ought to be. And here it is. They're, they're walking in. They see this, this lame guy. And there's lots of people. There's lots of traffic going in. It's not like it's just Peter and John and so, you know, it's the long tunnel and there's nobody else to look at, right? It's just them. And so they actually have to get this guy's. They have to get his attention. And um, so this is the exact opposite of how you and I approach most people in need, Right? Because I, I, here, and here's what you're trying to avoid. Let me just help you because <laughs> you'll skip over if I don't tell you. Here's what you're trying to avoid. I could help. You're trying to miss that connection where you know, I, you know, I could maybe, I need to help this person. And we, we, we skip right over that. I'm like, no, my change, my change console's empty. But if your change console's empty and you lock eyes with them, that, that makes you exposed. You are, in that moment, um, if, I, if I could say, um, vulnerable. That's, that's the right word. And we don't like that. Because, because now you, you have to make the decision of whether or not you're going to uh, blunt the, 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 the work of the Spirit, maybe drawing you or like kind of prompting you to do something different or, or to walk in something that maybe you're not comfortable with. And so, um, and so we, we desperately try to avoid this. And uh, it doesn't always come by way of the person begging um, on the street. This is like anybody that we come into interaction with that um, we, we, we're, we're aware of a need or something that might obligate us more than, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'll be praying for you. So just something to think about. So we find this guy outside of the beautiful, the beautiful gate. Now, um, we, we don't know exactly which uh, gate this is because the, the temple complex is destroyed. There's a couple theories on, on what, which gate it is. And I actually don't think it particularly matters. But the emphasis on the fact that he's laid outside of the gate that is called beautiful um, is included, I think, by, by Luke for a specific purpose. Yeah, yes, it's a sort of a, if you want to say it this way, sort of a pathetic site next to something beautiful. And maybe he's hoping to, to have that pull on people's heartstrings and they'll give a little extra or something like that. I don't, I don't know that that's why Luke includes it here. So um, the gates of, of, of anything are indicative in some case of, of what's behind that, uh, that gate. And, uh, you know, your, your, the gate to your backyard is just probably some, you know, cedar wood or redwood or whatever. It's not very grandiose. But maybe, maybe, unless your backyard's amazing and has, you know, a giant pool that's filled with Kool-Aid or something, and then you probably have some higher security than that, right? But, but here, uh, these, uh, the, the gates are indicative of, of what's supposedly behind, behind those gates, which is the idea of, of God's dwelling place, the place where you're going to meet with God's presence. And this is, goes now all the way back to Exodus, where Moses has given the instructions for the tabernacle, and you guys probably already lost all that information, but I'll just remind you that there was... Um, one main gate, there, there was walls of linen that were all the way around, and they came to a main gate. And um, so all around the, the walls are just kind of the, the basic white linen, and they're held up by some posts and, and all that. But the, the actual gate was sort of a curtain, and it's made with this ornate 
uh, design of purple and gold and remember the fine twine linen? Is this ringing any bells for you? And um, it says that when, when uh, Moses is in, um, finding people to do, to, to do these tasks to build the, the tabernacle, it says that the, the Spirit filled certain people to do the task that they needed to do. And so these women who were filled with the Spirit were, were like charged with making the curtains at the gate and making the curtains to the holy place and the inner curtain. So all of these things are designed to be a, a reminder of what you're walking into. You're supposed to see this ornate design and there was angels uh, that were embroidered on um, different, different parts of the, the tabernacle to remind you that you're entering heaven's space, which is the presence of God. And so here we are now, okay, and now we are back at the beautiful gate to remind, to remind us that that what, what, um, what they're entering into is, 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 is um, relationship, if I want to say it that way, with, with God. And, um, and so there's a sense here where um, the, the man being on the outside of that is, is trying to help us see that what, is, what he's missing is, is something that is beautiful, something that we all want, something that we all want to experience or should have a desire for. And, and by seeing the gate, we should want to go through that gate and go, what, what's on the other side of that? Which is exactly why it was instructed to be designed the way that it was. But, but here, um, uh, the, the, the gate is supposed to draw you forward, draw you in, and um, I totally lost what, what, where I was going with, with the point of this being a beautiful gate, uh, but I'll, I'll move forward. So, um, the, oh, because Jesus says, there it is, I am the gate. I, I am the way in. There's only one way in. And he says anybody that comes in or tries to enter the house or the presence through, through any other way is called a thief and a liar. Okay? So, so there is only one way in. And it's, and it's meant to not, you know, drag you over rocks. But it's, it's a pretty simple, hey, enter through the curtain, but only enter the one way that is, that is Christ. Okay? So, so we have all of that happening in the idea of this gate. But then beyond that, I, I think the emphasis on, on the beautiful um, is actually sort of deeper than that. Um, it's, um, the word that's translated beautiful is, is, comes from the idea of something being timely. Or like at the, at the exact moment where it's, it's needed, it's appropriate. And uh, so that's sort of interesting because, um, let me show it to you. So this is the Greek word, it's something you'll forget, it doesn't really matter. But it, the, the literal translation of, of, of the word that's being translated beautiful is seasonable. Like timely, okay? So, so stick that in your brain for a second. File that away. And it appears again, translated as timely and not beautiful in Romans 10, where, where um, Paul is talking about the need for people to not just, you know, hopefully absorb the gospel from osmosis or something, but yes, they actually be preached. And so he says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how, how beautiful, and that, that's the same word, how timely are the feet of those who, who preach the good news. And um, so, so now file that in the bank of what's being said here. So here's the man sitting outside of um, the beautiful gate, but, but behind the beauty is the idea of it like being the appropriate time. Now, um, the timing of this, if, if you were asking you or I how this whole thing was going for this guy the day before, it's, um, it's not great. Why the day before? Well, because the day before, uh, this man's story is he's been lame from birth, He's begged at the temple gate for, for years. And, um, and he's even had an opportunity, right? Jesus, the Christ, 
had come, and he'd healed other people in the same temple. So his story is going to be like that heartbreaking, like, oh, you just missed it, right? So by every measurement of man, the opportunity for this guy came and went, right? We're like, oh, that's too bad. Shucks. But like God, has, God has a better perfect moment designed for his purposes for this man to be healed. And uh, I, I think um, if, if you miss the point of that, it's, it's right here. We, we get so downcast and frustrated and disheartened and discouraged because if I could be so TV preacher, your moment. Some moment that you expected to happen or it felt like some moment that like you were been praying for something has not yet come. And yet God has like a specific moment that is most appropriate. And it, look, it may come on the other side of eternity. We're, we're like Paul's begging for this healing to happen and take this thorn out of his flesh and the Lord says like my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul doesn't know what healing is until, until he's dead. But that's the moment then. Then that's God's moment. But don't, don't become frustrated that that moment is not yet. Because clearly this guy could have, I mean, at some point he could have given up or just said it's not worth it. Or, well, I mean, fill in a thousand different ways this could have gone. But the day before, by all, by all measurements, um, the appropriate time had come and gone. Until this day where these two apostles show up. The guys that had been with Jesus the last time that he had healed at the very temple. And now these two apostles are present here at the right moment, at the right time, at the ninth hour, where this guy gets to experience what it is to be healed. So here's the interaction. Peter directs his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So, um, that's a loaded, that's a loaded response. He's, he's, that's something, though, I think is, um, there's nothing deeper than that. He, he doesn't know who these guys are yet. He, there's been no interaction. It's just, look at us, and he wants something from them. He wants money from them. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold. What I do have, I do give to you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, Nazareth, Nazareth rise up and walk. And he took him by that right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So here's uh, all, all of what happens, and I don't know how quickly all of this happens. I've got to imagine they're in fairly pro- close proximity. He says, look at me, and he tells him what he has. He pronounces the healing, and then he reaches, up and, uh, reaches down, and he, and he pulls him up, and he yanks him up. And by the time he yanks him up, the, the miracle has already happened, and, and uh, his, immediately, it says, his, his, his uh, feet and ankles were made strong. This is like a very... Um, you can tell, so Luke is a doctor. Luke is the one that's writing Acts. And this is like a very specific, like, and his ankles and joints like popped into place. It's like a very medical way to describe what's happening here. And he's, I think, pretty impressed by the fact that this has happened in this way. So um, whatever was going on with the guy's legs is, is fixed. Now, um, so I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, something, something keeps pop, popping out to me. And I'm like, you know, Peter doing this miracle had to be, had to be giving him flashbacks of, of another time where a, a similar thing happened for Peter in, in this almost a similar or exact same way with all of the same elements um, being, being in place. In Matthew um, chapter 14, um, P, uh, John, Jesus just fed the 5,000 and uh, disciples decide to row across. Jesus sends them across and then a great storm comes and Jesus comes walking out on water. Okay, maybe you're jogging some memories, right? Jesus walking out on water. All the disciples, they look. And they say, look, it's a, a ghost, right? 
And, uh, but Jesus, it says, immediately responds to them. And uh, immediately appears like three times in this little short narrative about this miracle. So he says, immediately he responds to them and says, it, no, it's, it's me. And then Peter says, says, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. And uh, he says, come, right? He commands him to come. Remember, Peter gets out of the boat. And uh, it says, uh, as, he, as he saw the wind, the wave, he, he began to sink, right? It says, immediately, he cries out, Lord, save me. And then it says, immediately, Jesus reached down and, and pulls him up. So just track with all the, so did you miss that? So Peter's, Peter's, uh, has a moment where his, his attention is fixed on, on Christ. And he, he exits the boat. He's like doing this miracle. And then the wind, the waves, and then he's drowning. He's going to die. There's nothing to stand on. There's the only way, hope he has, right? He calls out, Lord, save me. And Jesus is right there. Boop. And he, whatever Jesus is standing on is better than whatever Peter had, right? <laughs> he's pulling him up out, out of the water. He yanks him up, if you will. And then he says, he puts, he puts him in the boat, right? And then he asks him, why, why did you have so little faith? Um, so that story, I've got to imagine, is somewhere always in the back of, of Peter's mind about how Jesus yanked him up, somehow standing on solid ground while he was drowning, right? And here's Peter doing the same thing to this guy. Hey, I don't have this, but here's what Jesus did boop, for me. And he just stands this man up on his feet. And now all of a sudden this miracle has happened where he's strong and he can stand and he can walk and he can leap and he do all, does all these things. Um, so, so the idea that Peter is um, intimately familiar with the need for this man's attention to be focused on him so that it wasn't like an impersonal or some kind of passive reception, not that you can have somebody jerk your arm out of its socket or whatever <laughs> passively, but like the interaction there is important. And um, I, I think that, that can't be understated in the fact that um, Peter didn't just command the, the man to do something but he actually, he kind of like doesn't give him a choice, if you will. Like, well, he, he, he could, I mean, if the miracle doesn't happen, he's going to flop back down. And that goes a totally different way. <laughs> and uh, that's not in the gospel. So like, well, hey, it's, it's good news that it went the way that it did. So he actually kind of, if you will, this is the, if, there's two, two very important moments, if you want to say, of faith on Peter's behalf. And, and one of them is right there, where he reaches out and he, if you want to say it this way, that's the moment of the miracle where he, he pulls him up in faith and, and the man's healed. So now, here it is. He stands up and uh, he's leaping and he began to walk and he entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. What's he doing? Walking and praising God. I mean, it's pretty evident. It's, 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 um, it's, it's said repetitively to, to emphasize the fact that he's, um, he's focused on, on God, not on, not on Peter, not on, uh, I mean, he, he could have celebrated a lot of ways. Guys, look at me. Like, remember me. It doesn't do that. It's totally focused on God. Um, and uh, he doesn't go back and like, you know, ceremonially rip the, you know, blanket or something that he'd been carried in on. He doesn't run home to tell his family. He goes immediately to the one place where he ought to be, which is to focus on, on God as a, as a testimony. And so, um, He's just full of joy. And I, I read this, um, this uh, passage from Isaiah 35, which has this, this passage in it, which is the fulfillment, it's being fulfilled right now in this, um, in this moment where uh, Isaiah says, then the lame man shall leap like a deer. This is a very specific kind of leaping, right? As a deer does. And, 
And the tongue for the mute will sing for, for joy. Here, here's this man that was lame, now walking into the, the presence of God, singing, praising, and leaping around. So here it is, the fulfillment that um, God is, is um, rejuvenating, making, making good on the, the fruitfulness of all these things. The desert will be full of streams and the, and the weeds will go away. All, that's all of Isaiah chapter 35. It's a very encouraging uh, passage out of Isaiah, which can be somewhat discouraging if you want to read a good, encouraging one. So um, read that. And um, so this man has now wonder, reverence, and awe for what has happened, but specifically focused on God. And often um, people mistakenly focus so much on how they feel about God or how God makes them feel instead of realizing that that's, that's sort of the, the backwards, um, it's the reversal of what ought to be true. That God is, is powerful, he's majestic, he's merciful, and because of that, we should have fear and awe and reverence of, of him. And um, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not too, too far to push this to say, um, this should be, we should be like this. Um, the, the, the testimony of what you do and what you believe about God is said in how you worship God and how you praise God and how you act towards God. And um, people um, are getting a picture of who you say that God is by how you, how you worship him and how you praise him. And uh, I think... You know, some, some, sometimes they say, I have the joy of the Lord, but you forgot to inform your face. I'll say that again. Some of you say, I have the joy of the Lord, but you forgot to inform your face. Is this on? You guys, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm kind of tempted to just major on this point for a minute. But the point is this, the man's healed, he has a reason to praise God. Um, if you know the grace of God, you have a reason to praise God. But how often do you just somberly and, and this is your life as a follower of Christ? Stop forgetting to inform your face. I'll leave it like that. All right. So there's actually a couple of miracles that occur here. One is that his uh, feet and ankles begin to be strong and that he can walk and leap and all these things. But the fact that the guy's never walked before is also sort of a, a miracle in and of itself. He's got somehow the balance and the articulation to be able to not just walk and stumble around, but, but also to, uh, to do so with some fervor, right? And so um, it's important because um, he immediately puts to use what God has done for him. He immediately puts to use that God has, has given him something, and he's, he's walking in it, and like literally and figuratively, right? And um, he, he doesn't celebrate himself, and so I, I'm not trying to like, um, like boodle that uh, things are hard, but God has equipped you with um, all that you will need in, in the fact at, at the moment of salvation. That doesn't mean that you are totally mature, but all that you need. So, so um, when you think of somebody that's like just a, a-plus Christian. I mean, they're just like varsity level, and you just think they have just a great walk with God. They don't have some, they're not like superhero Christian. They don't have some extra thing that you don't have. They don't have more of God. They don't have more. There's not a secret chapter of the Bible that you get after you've been a Christian for 10 years, and that will help you walk better. Like, 
you have everything that you need for life and godliness. And the, 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 the separation, if you will, is, is it's developing or walking in the thing that you've been given so that you become more strong and more mature and you learn balance and articulation. And sometimes we only very, um, very rudimentarily or very, very infantile ways walk. So that's the very basic level. Yeah, yeah, everybody's equipped with feet and ankles that work in the spiritual sense. But not everybody uses them to, to walk and leap and learn to play sports or hike. Or Are you with me? The fact that, that you, you've been given all that you need, all the equipment that you need spiritually to get there, now you need to walk in it and develop it. And so, um, so I'm not trying to make light of the fact that, you know, sometimes we, we fall or, or, you know, that we don't, we don't walk in perfection, but walk people. <laughs> and, and do so uh, in a way that, that reflects that you're, you're attempting to do... Um, Something for, for, for God's glory. And this is exactly what the man's doing. He's just praising, leaping, shouting. So it, it, this, of course, gathers a crowd and gets the attention of those. And this in and of itself is not, is not the gospel. A guy getting healed is not enough, and that's why it requires words. It requires words to connect the fact that something has happened here. It's impressive. Impressive things happen all the time. Um, unexplainable things occasionally happen. But connecting those with, with something deeper is, is, is necessary with words. Otherwise, you just leave people up to their own devices and, and their choices about what they think is, has happened. And so uh, we'll, we'll talk about Peter's um, sermon next week. But listen, the, the best witness to the power of the gospel is, is your, your used-to-be life, who I used to be, Okay? So the evidence that the gospel's actually come in and changed you and God's real and, and, and the gospel's real is, is who you used to be. Look, it says several times that this is the guy who laid by the temple gate. And then the crowd gathers around and they recognize, hey, this is the lame guy that was at the temple gate. And they all know him as the guy that he used to be, but now he's clearly not that guy anymore. Are you, are you, there's, there's a separation there of this is who I used to be, this is what I was, like Paul says, you know, this is what I was, but now I, I'm not. And now, by the grace of God, you are not either. And, but the best testimony to the, the actual truth of the gospel is the fact that there was somewhere in the middle some kind of catalyst that changed things. And now Peter's going to articulate what is that, what changed things that we're now beholding this man doing all of these things? What are all these wonders coming from? And so the question, um, here's, a, here's a question for you that will bear out application today, tomorrow, next week and for the rest of your life, okay? One question, two parts. Is what I'm doing now bearing witness to God in that way? Is, is, is what I'm doing right now bearing witness that, that God changed me from what I used to be to what I am now? That's the first half of the question. And then is how I'm doing it bearing witness to God being great and that my focus is on Him? So that's not, that's not a question about how you're singing in church. That is like, as you're going about your life, when, how you're doing your job, and w- what you're shopping for in the grocery store. I don't know. Like, whatever it is that you're doing, you can ask this question and helpfully answer it for yourself. And, and realize, is, is God truly at the center of, of my belief and, and who I am? My center on what um, he's done in my life? Do I, do I focus not just um, my attention, but other people's attention on that, on that truth? So all the people that come, they're greatly amazed, it says. All and wonder, but do not equal salvation. So he says, uh, I want to jump down to um, this, this verse. So after he, he gives him the testimony about Jesus' person, and then um, 
In 15, he really, Peter, that being he, is really laying it on thick. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So there he's talking about the reality that these people had, had seen other great things, had taken part in some really sad and tragic things. And then he says this verse 16, which could be like a three-week series in itself. It's very complex. But he says this um, in the ESV. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So he's again emphasizing, you, you knew this guy, so you knew that this wasn't just like some flute thing. So he, he starts out with the name, by faith in his name, and then has made the man strong, and then he concludes again with the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect, pres- excuse me, perfect health in the, presence, in the presence of you all. So I want to get to the name and the faith, uh, but real quick, let's look at this um, statement where it says that, that he has perfect health. He, he got perfect health um, by what's, what's happening. I don't know if you, do you guys have another translation there. Does somebody else say anything else? Complete what? Completely, completely healed. The inclusion of, of health in this specific instance, trying to be helpful, is not helpful. It's like um, the, the actual emphasis of what, what Peter's actually saying here is like total wholeness. And uh, instead of like, you know, he got. He got 100% use of 50% of his body. That's, see, one, is, one doesn't work, right? So that's not what he's saying. He's got 100% use of 100% of all that he could have. All the total potential is fulfilled here. He's um, absolutely whole, right? So, um, so eliminating this to health is sort of unhelpful. Um, he's, he's not just been restored to perfect health. He's been restored like spiritually speaking, because now he's, he's taking part in, in worship. He's, he's been um, restored societally or socially, right? There's, a, there's an aspect where he was looked as lesser than or not included on things. So because of this miracle, he's, he's as close to um, shalom, the idea of biblical shalom, which is fullness, wholeness, completeness, perfection, has been given to this man on this side of eternity. That's, that's the emphasis of, of perfect health here. Um, another Greek word that you will soon forget but, but uh, it's only used here. This is the only time this, this word is ever used as a noun. And here it is. He's, he's saying this man has been restored to complete wholeness. 100% of 100%, not, not 100% of 50%. Okay? So he's, he's been totally restored. And um, I think this uh, helps us see, see something important that um, when, when Jesus says, you know, Apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, I, I'm, the, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The extensions don't matter unless they're connected in a useful way to the source, right? This man's, these, the man had limbs, but they were useless until they were connected in the right way, right? Okay, so there's a spiritual overlay that Luke has been doing this entire time about this man's healing. The man is totally incapable. He's, he doesn't have a relationship. He's not restored, this is our condition spiritually. Along comes someone that, that knows God, that has the, the truth of what can restore us. And they give us that truth. They, they helpfully um, extend something important. We'll nail it down here just in a second. And give that to you. And that restores you. And now you're restored to complete wholeness. You were once dead, but now you're alive. Okay? So there's, there's the story that, that um, is being told um, overall in this healing but now specifically, the faith in the name. So, um, now, it's always dangerous to categorically say, you know, just like prayer, 
Prayer is not always this, and it's not always that. But here, helpfully, I think faith is the action of trust. Okay? So, uh, if you do not have action on what it is that you have, quote-unquote, faith in, then it's, it's of no use to you. It's, it's, it's of no, it's of no, certainly of no spiritual value, and it's certainly of no self, self, salvific value. I say that because um, it says the demons believe and know that Jesus is Lord. And, they, and it actually causes a reaction. They shudder at that reality. That's more than you and I do sometimes, right? At that reality. But they aren't saved because of that knowledge. So they, they believe it. They, they, they know it's true, okay? So belief and knowledge, true knowledge of what's true is not enough. It's only in... So, so faith being in action is paramount. If you hear nothing else today, faith as action is the essence of, of what, when the Bible says you are saved by grace through faith, that word right there is saying there's, there's something behind it more than, yes, I believe. Yet the confession is important. The confession is important. The, 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 the knowing is important, but then it's the the causation of, of what happens behind that or after that or as the extension of that and that's the walking out of that truth. Do, if, you, if you are of the mind and the belief that Jesus is the, is the payment for your sin and you were once dead and now alive, that causes a, a faith reaction in you that you are entrusting now in him, not of yourself. And um, I, I don't, I don't want to get like too practical with that because by the time I do that then we're like into legalism and then you have a 10 point list of what faith looks like instead of understanding that it is the extension of the belief. It's the activity of belief. It is belief, confidence, trust made visible through activity. It's, a, it's, it's defined in this way so that um, when, when, Peter, when Peter heals the man when God heals the man through Peter when the healing happens he, he's got this complex sentence in 16 where he's like, look, his name, that is the name of Christ, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. You all see it, no? And the faith that is through Jesus, okay, has given this man perfect health. So let me try to, if I can, quickly, what is, what is Peter actually saying and whose faith healed the man? So I, I kind of teased this last week and you already know. Does the man have any faith before? Does he have any faith to be healed no, has he asked to be healed? Does he have any faith or trust in Jesus' name? No, he doesn't. Okay, so, so what actually happens in this exchange is that um, Peter is going, and at the moment where he finds himself in lack of something else to give, he gives the only thing he has, which is the faith that Jesus is the Christ. And he does something, importantly, as an act of faith. He says these words. Look, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be healed, and he reaches out, and he, and he pulls this man up. That is, that is faith. So when you say, what is faith? It's when Peter reaches his hand down, and he yanked this guy up. Okay? That's what faith is. So whose faith healed the man? Well, it's the faith that came by way of, of Peter being totally, absolutely convinced, in this moment, God is going to do this thing. And that's faith. That's what he had his faith in. That the name of Jesus will heal this man. Not just for the sake of healing him, but for making his name great. Now, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I, I referenced this last week. This is just 
to help us understand this. For the, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. There's one Spirit, but multitudes of gifts. For to one given the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now in verse um, 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now just pause there. Don't read the rest yet. By, by the, the, the gift of faith in this instance, when it's talking about it here in 1 Corinthians 12, is what Peter has in this moment. It's to see beyond what's there visible and to go, I, I'm trusting that God's going to do this and acting on it. Now you go, that's never happened to me. It has, it can, and it will. When you walk by faith and not by sight, and instead of repressing that spirit-led and spirit-wrought faith-given thing and walking in it, we generally go, I'm scared that won't happen. And we think, we do this because, primarily because we think that the miracle is contingent on our faith. How much faith, I don't have enough faith to make that happen. Am I right? Don't let, me, don't let me paint with a broad brush, but I'll paint anyway. Look, I think when you, if, if I said, like, would God heal somebody through a year? Like, I don't know. I mean, like, I didn't do my devotions yesterday. I don't think so. And that says, I think I'm the one that's responsible for healing somebody, not that God is. You, you think if you pray hard enough or had enough faith that X will happen. That is not true. It is not the amount of faith. Jesus' favorite nickname for the disciples was you of and how often does he tell them it, it doesn't take a lot of faith to move if you, you even have a little bit of faith to move the mountain it will move why because it's it's not about the amount of faith that moves the thing it's about what the faith is in it's it's in the power of the one that the, that the faith is in so even a little bit of faith like how many of you guys hate hate flying how many of you guys hate heights would never skydive I, I'm surprised. We have, guys, let's go skydiving. I didn't know we had so, so few haters. Okay. The idea that, like, this would be an unsafe activity because you think, like, I don't have very much faith that this chute is going to open. Okay? And uh, if for some reason I could drag you up and I kicked you out of the thing, right? I kicked you out of the airplane and you're tumbling to your supposed death. And then, like, I don't know, we got this thing automated. And so, psh, yeah, your chute opens. Does the amount of faith have anything to do with the fact that the chute opens and will indeed do whatever physics presents and lift will happen and you will float safely to the earth. No! Let me ask that again so you can emphatically respond. Does the amount of faith that you have in a, in a parachute affect whether or not it works? No. Does the amount of faith that you have in God affect whether or not he's powerful enough or good enough or merciful enough to do anything? No. So, on the flip side of that, this is how we always approach things. And then on the back side, how we always reflect on it. We always approach it going, I don't know if I have enough faith to see that thing happen. And then on the back side, when it, if it doesn't happen, we go, I must not have had enough faith. I didn't pray hard enough. That's not what's being presented here. It's, it's at the moment where the, the unseen thing is in your heart and you walk in it, that's the enough faith that you needed because the power was already there. And the power was from the name. The, the movement here overall is to move... Guys, the, the, there's two things that take on a character form here. The, the name and the faith. They both have that the in front of it. 
They become characters now. The, the name is not just saying the name of Jesus. It is all that Jesus is. The authority and power. All of power and authority and everywhere and on earth and in heaven. It doesn't matter. It's all Jesus is. And it's represented in the idea of his name, if I can say it that way without softening it too much. So here it is. Peter is trying to get these Jewish people who understand the power of the name of Yahweh to realize that that's now present in Jesus. And that by faith, putting your faith not in worshiping in the temple, but putting, putting your trust, acting in, now living your life through faith, activity, in this name, that's how this man's been made well. Oh, do you see? This is the connection he, he draws for them. This is the emphatic point of the whole miracle. So that the people will see that, that the faith that healed this man, the faith that I walked in to, to pull him up, and now the faith that is extended to you is in the name of Christ. So that our, our healing is there. It's, it's there, but walk in it. And the, when guys don't hear TV preacher right now, hear the truth. God, God is free to heal whoever, whenever, and however he wants. And this is the importance of the second half of this verse. An end to another. Gifts. This is the only one of these that's, that's plural. He doesn't, he doesn't make healers. There are no... Benny Hinn is not a healer. Okay? There are no, there are no he, traveling healers. Do not cede your money to receive the bountiful harvest of healing. Okay? To another, gifts of healings, if you want to say it that way, by one spirit, the same spirit. Okay, I think that's enough. And um, this morning, um, we're going to end in, um, in worship, and we've got two songs. And uh, here's what I want for us, and um, the songs, you know, I, I try to pick things that are not just, you know, theologically sound. Yes, that's important. But um, importantly, above that is something that says something true that you actually have to express with your, your mouth about something hopefully you've just learned. So that this morning as we maybe do these last few songs, I want you to reflect on some, something, some bell, something that God would ring in your heart and your brain about what he's just told you in his word is true. So that if, you, if you, there's a disconnect between the very words that you are saying that you believe about God and how you're actually living, that that would, first of all, be a moment of, of reconciliation and you would resolve that confession, repentance. But also in, in recognizing that the, the words that we say are not just good isms to try and like encourage one another to, to, to say good things about God, but because we, we actually have to believe that they're true.